Okay, everybody, welcome back. This is episode 21 of Junior Resource Investing. Uh, before we get going, as always, I will start with a disclaimer here. As always, again, yeah, this is not financial advice. I am not a financial advisor. My guests are not financial advisors. This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Due to the nature of this discussion, there will be blue, blue sky conversation, so just please be aware of that. For full disclaimer, please check YouTube notes below. Otherwise, though, I am pleased to present our latest guest, Ewan Webster. Ewan is the president and CEO of Thesis Gold. Thesis Gold is a primary gold explorer whose core project is the prolific ranch project in BC's Golden Horseshoe, which consists of epithermal gold deposits and possible underlying porphyry mineral systems. It continues to put out impressive mine-making results in a district ripe for consolidation. It trades on the TSXV under the ticker TAU, and on the OTC in the U.S. under the ticker THSGF. Ewan, it's nice to chat with you today. Thank you for joining me. How are you? Very well. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, nice to be here as well. Yeah, and always, I always appreciate the time that CEOs take to, to meet with you here today. So, yes, thank you for that. Place, I always start, and I'll start here with you. You know, just if, you know, if we had to consolidate all, all, consolidate all this interview down into 30 seconds and you had 30 seconds to pitch this to investors, how would you describe Thesis Gold and its story and why it's compelling? Yeah, good one to start with. Um, so Thesis Gold is focused on its 100% owned ranch gold project, uh, which is a high-grade near-surface epithermal gold deposit uh, that is road accessible in the emerging Tudigon mining camp. We've got a very tight share structure. We've got a long shareholder base. We've got about $15 million in the treasury. Uh, we're looking towards another significant drill program in 2023 as we work towards a maiden resource, likely in early 2024. Yeah, so lots and lots, like you say, fully cashed up, so ready to roll, hit the ground running with that in the new year. And, and yeah, 12 months, 18 months, we've got uh, some exciting catalysts coming up for you. Your personal history is perhaps more relevant than many CEOs in terms of their immediate uh, company at hand. Why don't you just walk us through your background and why that matters so much to Thesis? Sure, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, as you probably gathered, I'm Scottish. Uh, <laughs> grew up just outside Glasgow. Uh, first class honors degree in earth science from the University of Glasgow. And then from there, um, moved to Canada to pursue a PhD at the University of Calgary. I think I was one of the only hard rock people there focused on uh, a big project in Southeast BC, basically looking at tectonics and you know how the areas uh, or deposits fit into um, uh, tectonic history over the last couple hundred million years. Great project. Quite, pretty quickly realized I didn't want to be an academic though as in PhD and then uh, kind of transitioned out of that into uh, mineral exploration. Uh, and, you know, for a few years, I just worked uh, for as a consultant for a number of different public companies. And then I joined the Meadows group of companies probably four-ish years ago now. And my kind of main uh, role initially, and I think this is kind of what you were alluding to, is basically uh, being the senior geologist for Benchmark Meadows, which is the company just the, the south of our ranch gold project. They have the lawyers uh, project there. So, you know, I, I started working with John uh, Williamson and Jim at Benchmark uh, early on. You know, we started out there with about 100,000 ounces 
um, uh, underground uh, high-grade ounces, and, and that had been a past producer. And you know, we recognised that there was probably a lot more potential there than um, it had been given credit for, and you know, helped take that from that initial resource through to the the 3.6 million ounces that they now have. But you know, somewhere along that path, had the opportunity to. Um, get the ranch project and essentially stepped away from benchmark uh, to become the ceo of thesis gold and we really built thesis gold around um the ranch project so uh hopefully that gives you a pretty quick uh, intro to me anyway mm. well i may step away from my script here and then jump ahead to do you mind running through the the genesis of the ranch project my understanding was it was a series of disparate land packages that have been consolidated kind of for the first time in recent history but i mean you know when you were at benchmark was it always something that you were kind of gazing north at this land or how did how did it come about that you know you kind of circled these this area as something you wanted to focus on yeah i mean i think we always recognized the potential there to the north and uh it's actually the same vendor of the project uh both lawyers and the, the ranch project it was held by uh private guardsman resources and maybe i'll step back in time a little bit so mm. You know the disparate land positions that you talk to yeah i think both um lawyers and particularly ranch had seen you know a number of different operators through the early days of exploration in the tudigon so the 60s the 70s and ultimately in the early 90s when uh gold prices were depressed and exploration essentially died dried up in the tudigon and guardsmen saw the opportunity there they basically consolidated those two land positions to effectively what they are today are pretty close anyway and um and then they they held them for kind of 20 plus years um you know john managed williamson at benchmark managed to deal with guardsmen got the lawyers project and then subsequently uh, managed to deal with doug uh guardsmen and get uh the ranch project so yeah and then, so I guess maybe just to, to finish off the conversation, I guess, briefly around benchmark versus thesis. I mean, are, are they two arm's length companies? Is there overlap in ownership? I mean, you know, does benchmark have a, have a position in thesis or vice versa? Or, or yeah, just, just friendly neighbors? Or is it more to it than that, more formal? Just friendly neighbors. I mean, completely separate boards, management teams. Um, and, you know, there's no... We don't, I don't own a position of, or thesis doesn't own a position of benchmark and vice versa, but there are a lot of benefits, you know, because we have that great relationship, then, you know, we essentially, there's a lot of cost saving there um, in terms of just logistical support. We use the same drill contractor, the same uh, geological crew uh, through Apex Geoscience. So uh, certainly um, some big cost um, savings to be had by that kind of beneficial relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I guess because it is kind of, for me, kind of a part one, part two of your of the thesis for your own exploration, um, and I'm going to have to work hard not to continue to make that really bad pun over and over again, but, you know, that you you are you know, the former head of exploration for Benchmark. You step into this role of CEO at Thesis. I mean, so it obviously, you know, if you're listening at home, this is part of what kind of perks my ears up, is that obviously there's – 
you know, pretty high conviction then that there's must be something economic down there, right? So, I mean, could you just talk through maybe yourself and your geo team? I mean, just, you know, what, what drew your eyes specifically? You know, had you done, was there above ground or historical assays that you were looking at? And, and maybe let's just pause there and I'll have a follow-up question for you there. But yeah, just what, what, what actually got you there and who are, who are you working alongside of, alongside with? Sure. Um, so, you know, at Benchmark, when I started, we developed this exploration um, toolkit model, whatever you want to call it. But it was essentially very systematic exploration across the land position. And that's what that project and the ranch project hadn't seen that at all. So, it, and it proved to be very effective on the lawyers project. And then, you know, as we got the opportunity to get the ranch project, you know, it, it, it shared a lot of the same characteristics where the, the perception was, uh, was, you know, very high grade mineralization right at surface, but it was small. Um, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of potential to really grow that system. Uh, and, and that was the same kind of thinking that existed for Benchmark's lawyers project, where it was, you know, high grade underground and, you know, that's all it was ever going to be. Uh, but we recognized that, hey, around these high grade cores that they were mining underground, you have 100 meters ish of, you know, pretty continuous mineralization flanking them. Mm. And, you know, that's now evolved into what will hopefully be some a large open pit mine one day. Uh, so it was a very kind of similar story with Ranch. Uh, as I said, you know, high grade, some phenomenal drill results at surface, uh, but of isolated pods of mineralization. And it, historically, when they were exploring on the ranch project, um, you know, the, the whole epithermal porphyry system was kind of poorly understood. Like that continuum, essentially, it's one system. Uh, and the, the, epitherm, the high sulfidation epithermal part of it is just the upper parts of the system. And I don't think that was quite understood then. Um, you know, also, one of the key things was the, the structural control on the mineralization, you know, there essentially wasn't a structural model and basically being completely overlooked. And, and that was one thing that worked very well for us at, at lawyers. And I think even more so at, at ranch has just been understanding that the structural controls on the mineralization. Um, and, you know, that came from the very systematic exploration that we were doing on the project, you know, detailed ground magnetics, geophysics, mapping, uh, LIDAR interpretation of lineaments, et cetera, to really build up that framework. Uh, and from there, you know, you're you're in a position to much more effectively test and try and expand that mineralized footprint. And and I think we've certainly demonstrated this year that is the case. The mineralization is growing. And uh, I think it's turned in a pretty uh, significant gold system. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I want to talk about your fresh take on old ground, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it seems like every week you're releasing 100 meters of a gram per ton, right? So we're just, just consistently impressive assay results coming out. Maybe just as a quick aside, you know, 2022 drilling season is wrapped up for you, but you're still awaiting quite a few assays. Do you mind kind of running through what's left? There is probably about 25%, I think, of the assays left uh, in the lab at the moment. Right now, they're telling us that they should all be complete by the end of February. Uh, and then ideally, as soon as we get those in, we just compile them, turn them around and get them back out to uh, shareholders uh, as soon as possible. 
Um, but somewhere in that 25% range, I think. Sure. And out of, it was roughly 120 or so that went into 2022? Yeah, exactly. I think it was 119 or thereabouts. Okay. Um, and so why don't we just to finish off this as an introduction to the, you know, the ranch project, you know, because there was a lot of historical drilling, right? A lot of, a lot of, a lot of drill holes, but obviously wasn't like you say that they didn't understand the nature of the porphyry system. They didn't understand what they were doing. Um, do you mind, is this just, is it as simple as that, you know, you've already kind of referenced this, right? It's it's new technology, new exploration, above and below ground exploration, and then just bringing these new technologies to bear. I mean, I guess, and then what what else did you do differently, I guess, after that? Yeah, so, I mean, there was about 34,000 meters of historical drilling on the project mm-hmm. um, and a number of probably four or five different zones. And they actually produced about 10,000 ounces of gold from three small open pits. And they were maybe only like 50 meters long and a, and a couple of meters deep. Um, but all, the subsequent drill programs by the different operators through the kind of 70s and 80s and then a little bit of drilling in the 2007, um, you know, they, they just went back and effectively re-drilled the same system mm-hmm. or same zones. And, you know, the one thing that they couldn't understand or get their head around was the fact that, you know, these the gold zones in places are fed by falls. So the fluid comes up the fault, but then in places that fluid had gone out and moved along uh, particular rock units. Uh, But historically they drilled through these zones and come out the bottom and just thought, well, you know, the mineralization doesn't continue to depth. Um, and, And that's kind of what, the outcome of that 2007 drill program was they said, well, there's no more potential to extend the Bonanza zone, for example. What we've done, um, and you know, I think how that thinking has evolved is one, we, you know, we really understand high sulfidation systems and the controls on, you know, the, certainly that stratigraphic part that I was telling you about, but also more importantly, the faults that control um, the, with those gold-bearing fluids as they came up. Um, but it was this the kind of systematic exploration. So, as I said, I think probably the best exploration tool is a combination of ground detailed ground magnetics. And what that does is basically it picks out the faults. And, you know, it does a fantastic job of picking out these lineaments. Then if you pair that with mapping, so you've kind of ground truth where these structures might be, and also IP. Uh, and the IP, what we're looking for is basically one of the responses, which is resistivity, and that is picking out zones of effectively silica alteration. And I know this is getting a little bit technical, but um, it's that silica alteration paired with the structures, paired with you know the interpretation and mapping on surface that gives us a lot of confidence and where to drill. So from that, we were able to basically extrapolate, you know, where that mineralization might be going um, and, you know, essentially targeted that this year or last year now, I guess. And, you know, we've extended all the zones of mineralization at Bonanza. We've shown how that now interconnects with the red zone. We've shown the offsets on that system with other structures and different orientations, how those are mineralized as well. So it's really just a kind of a, a, a greater understanding of what the controls of mineralization are, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, you uh, 
you, I think you you you, met, you referenced it while yourself, right? That that if you I think I dug out I think I dug out Guardsman's uh, re- report on on the on the bond package, and it was rather dismal in terms of its kind of the prospectivity, right? It was rather rather negative on the future prospectivity, which of course you this past year have just kind of proven it almost. Uh, entirely incorrect right that and again this is, this is if you go back and listen to other conversations i always talk about you know a working geological thesis and this is why what i find so compelling about your company is that you have like you just you just reference it yourself right ground magnetics mapping ip correlating together and you have this working thesis that every time you drill it it, it further validates this thesis for for your company and it, and for me that becomes compelling as an investor because obviously when you still have prospectivity in other zones and targets then you you know there is of course there's nothing certain here but you know there's 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 increased confidence because it's already been tested so well right so i, I think that you know you it's not obviously not just a science project but the 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 level of rigor that you've brought to this it seems like it's paid off in, in massive dividends thus far yeah i think so i mean and I think a good example of how well this works outside of the known zones of mineralization would be, you know, this year's uh, discovery of the Steve zone, where mm. we applied that same thinking, that same exploration uh, work to new targets out with the historically drilled areas and made a new discovery. Um, mm. So I think, you know, that really demonstrates how effective that that has been. Mm. Well, and maybe, yeah, like I say, I'm kind of going backwards here. I usually end my conversations surrounding exploration and, and such. But, I mean, so I guess I have a two-part question. I do want to know where, what you're doing next, you know, in terms of infill or step-outs or just entirely new targets. But why don't you, just to set the table, because 2022 was a fairly transformative year. It was 50,000 meters, if I'm not incorrect, as you say, in 119 holes. So, boy, 400 meters. Am I in the ballpark, 400 meters per hole? It it ended up being about forty thousand meters of drilling, so fifty thousand was our okay. target, and we ended up shutting the program down a little bit early, um, just with other people pulling out of the tooting on and stuff. I didn't want to, and given the current market conditions in the fall, I didn't mm-hmm. want to be responsible solely for keeping the road open. So, um, decided to conserve some capital, went for the forty thousand meters. Uh, but as you said, yeah, still they still ends up being some pretty significant holes, and they range from. A couple of hundred meters through to we have some holes that are down seven seven hundred and fifty meters, mm. so, and then a bit of everything in between. So yeah, yeah. So forty thousand meters, roughly speaking, still a, a very important kind of turning point in terms of the drilling season for thesis, I guess. So maybe now we'll we'll return to my initial question: Is twenty twenty three? Obviously, it seems like you have quite a bevy of kind of opportunities or potential directions to take this do you mind i guess first of all maybe this is the simple question i'll ask you what you're doing with the meters afterwards but number of drills and number of meters do you have a notion of what 2023 will look like yet hopefully it's going to look like something similar to 2022 um i mean that, that's my goal at the moment and i think given the results that we've got and you know our, how our understanding evolved this year i think it certainly warrants that um as to where those meters are going to be allocated and, and targets and stuff at the moment, I think mm. if we had this conversation again in another month's time when we have all of those assays back, mm. Uh, mm. We'd be, I'd be in a much better position to give you uh, a, a more definitive answer, let's say. Um, mm. But I think it, it, it's going to be 
continuing to expand at Bonanza Ridge, focus on the thesis structural corridor uh, with some kind of infill drilling there, as well as expansion drilling along strike. And then, you know, follow up on some of the targets that we discovered this year. And there are a lot of other targets that uh, mm. I want to test as well. So to answer your question, something similar to what 2022 was, I'm planning on at the moment. Sure. So yeah, a mixed, like you say, a mixture of infill to upgrade your resource, step you know, step outs along strike, and then some some wildcat to test these other previously undrilled targets. That's a, a fair recap, fair summary. I think yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, well, maybe in a few months I'll get you back on. We can have a better conversation about what that's going to look like or whatever. Um, let me let me scroll back here now. So I guess maybe why don't we talk about where you are? I mean, you're obviously far north in BC. Um, you know, Tudagon Golden Horseshoe, is it is it is it FIFO? It's not FIFO. It's not fly and fly out, or is it? What's how? What's the what, what does it take to get to your land package? So Tudagon is completely road accessible, uh, and so is the ranch project as of last year. Um, you know, there was a road onto the project historically, and that's where they they put that road in to do that ten thousand ounces that they mined um, out of there back in the early nineties. But after that, they deactivated the road and essentially and pulled out the bridge over the Tudigan River, which is mm. between Benchmark's lawyers project and, and the ranch project to the north. So we worked with uh, the local First Nations last year and the government got that re-permitted and reactivated the road onto the project last year. So it's completely road accessible. Um, there's a power line tie-in just to the south of us at Sintera Gold's Kames, Copper Gold Porphyry. And there's an airstrip, but that's basically on the southern end of Benchmark's lawyers project. Um, so, you know, you have the option to uh, drive in, fly in. Um, it's, it's, you know, given where, from where it is, it's about 450 kilometers northwest of Prince George. Uh, the infrastructure is actually fantastic. I would add as well that um, it's it's not uh, the kind of rugged coastal mountains of British Columbia that you might imagine. It is rolling hills, uh, very limited vegetation, and a kind of subalpine to alpine. And we're in the kind of rain shadow of the coastal mountains as well, so we get a fraction of the snowpack that they get uh, on the coast. Mm. So it is it is more than uh, possible to work year round. And now you you anticipated a follow up question here as this discussion of drilling season. Now, you know, possible to work year round versus practical to work year round. I mean, what is you know is it a practical twelve month season or how or how you know if you if you had your druthers and you weren't waiting for assays, which everybody seems to be waiting for assays for years now, right? But you know, waiting for assays notwithstanding, is it a realistic twelve month season or what's what's that actually look like on the ground? I think, no, it is a realistic 12-month season. I mean, last year, that 40,000 metres, 5,000 of that was actually drilled as a spring programme in um, kind of March and April. Um, and while, you know, parts of the project were frozen and under snow, it's certainly feasible to do that. Benchmark has worked year-round before on their lawyers project. Really, it comes down to uh, cost analysis. I mean, if there's other people in the area that are going to operate uh, year round, then, you know, we can split expenses for, you know, whatever's required for road maintenance mm-hmm. and, and keeping things going, logistics, etc. But, uh, you know, this year, nobody else in the Tudagon was kind of doing a winter program. So I uh, didn't mm-hmm. want to have thesis pay for that expense uh, by ourselves. Um, so, 
but you can definitely operate year round. Perfect. Yeah. So it is just a matter of practicality. And I, I think that's understandable, right? Shouldering expenses unnecessarily just to, to get a couple more drills in, right? Uh, rather than waiting and, and being more responsible with, with shareholder capital. That's exactly uh, it. That is exactly it. So why don't you, a decent segue, I mean, of course, it's Northern BC, so cost per meter is going to be elevated, but can you give us a, a, a you know, all in, all in price for cost per meter to drill? All in, all in last year was about 420 bucks a meter. Um, and I think that's going to come down uh, quite a bit this year, even with inflation, et cetera, because, you know, part of the program was helicopter supported. This year, you know, we're not going to have that need at all. As I mentioned, you know, we just put that road back in. It's going to be completely road uh, access only. So uh, those costs should drop, which, you know, if you think about the rest of BC, 420 bucks a meter is pretty good as is. Uh, mm-hmm, and for that mm-hmm. to come down even further, I think we're, you know, we're probably one of the lowest cost uh, of drilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was that was surprisingly low for <laughs> what I was potentially expecting. Um, so... That's where am I going from here? I wanted to ask you about maybe let's just circle back to jurisdiction and and relationships with local indigenous communities. Obviously, it's BC. Um, obviously, it's a very complex and ever evolving sort of conversation, right? Uh, you know what what are what is your relationship with local communities? You know, you know, are there collaboration agreements that you've signed with them, or you're in the process of working through that, or you know, what's yeah? Can you just kind of discuss where you're at with 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 that aspect? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's a four local uh, nations in the area, the Taltan, uh, Sikidani, Kwadatcha, and uh, Takla. So we have a communications and engagement in place with the Taltan, and then the other three nations are collectively called the Sikidani, and we have a trilateral agreement in place with uh, those three nations. And we, we had these agreements in place prior to even beginning our exploration program back in 2021. And we've kind of been working hand-in-hand hand with the local nations. We use the environmental wing of to the nation, so Saskatchewan and Chucho Environmental to do basically all of our wildlife monitoring, baseline studies, etc. Um, so, and actually the engineering side of um, Chucho Environmental, one of the groups, uh, they actually got the contract in part with Saskatchewan as well, I guess, to do all of the road rehabilitation and reactivation. So. Um, you know, they are getting a lot of the work on the project as well. And I think last year we employed, I think about 20 plus percent of our workforce was local nations on the project. Nice. Perfect. So, yeah, the First Nations who are supportive and, and, and understanding of the economic benefits of, of, of playing along with the project versus more, you know, hesitant or resistant sort of, sort of nations that are maybe a bit more suspicious of, of environmental impacts. Indeed, yeah. Sure. I'm just going to circle back here. One question that I left uh, unanswered or unasked, I suppose. So you are releasing in 2024 tentatively initial resource. Um, can you just explain? So yeah, you've you know you've put in forty some thousand meters last year, uh, and, and so of course you're having to confirm historical drill assays with some drilling and then now you're you know some fresh fresh work yourself now to move forward from that can you just give us a, a, a and of course i know this is going to be forward looking and so you don't have hard numbers but just roughly speaking how many meters do you anticipate going into this resource coming up in the next 12 months or plus so 
there was 34,000 meters of drilling historically. Then in 2021, that was our first drill program, and that was about 16,000 meters of drilling, if I remember. And that was uh, quite a lot of confirmation drilling, also testing a couple of new targets and expanding some of the zones. Uh, but essentially, that did a great job of confirming the, local, the historical results from the 70s and 80s. Then, as you mentioned, this year's program, or last year's program now, 40,000 meters. Um, so collectively, I think that's what was up to 75, um, 90,000 meters-ish. If we do another 40,000 meters this year, you know, we're in that 130,000 meter ballpark. Um, but I don't, I think the number's kind of meaningless. I mean, really what's important is, you know, is the gold system you know, what, well, one, what's your drill density? You know, how big a system do you have there? And also, is it still growing? You know, if if we get to the end of 2023 summer program, we've made a number of new discoveries again, fingers crossed. You know, the zones of mineralization are continuing to expand. I'm I'm not going to rush to put out a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's in shareholders' best interest for us to continue evaluating and growing that gold footprint. You know, if it looks like we've got a really good handle on the mineralization that we have there, if we've got good drill density and a lot of confidence in it, then 100%, I think that's the next logical step. And that's, again, you anticipated a question I was going to ask you based on, the you know, as prospectivity continues to be, you know, closer to blue sky than, than a ceiling, uh, you know, when, when does that resource come out? Do you mind explaining, and this is, of course, I know it's a, it's an industry standard, you know, Every every explorer has to make this decision for themselves, and you know different strategies approaching this. But you know, to resource or not to resource, right? I guess is, is the question I have: is you know, what's your logic? Why, why not, right? I mean, obviously, I, I, I get it, right? And there's just competing schools of thought. Some people like to update resources, you know, more regularly, and other companies. I mean, like, you know, Great Bear, obviously Kodiak. I mean, I guess those are two famous examples of not ever having a resource. But so why? Why? I guess why? If why not? Why no resource? Why do you think it makes sense for you to continue to drill with the prospectivity there? I mean, I think Great Bear just essentially what I was saying two seconds ago is that you know they just continue to see the potential of that deposit growing. Um, you know, they were still expanding that footprint and didn't want to rush into putting out a resource because they, you know, they, they saw or they thought that there was still a lot of upside to be had there. Sometimes I think if you put out a resource, the market may think, you know, this is all we have. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it's not as big as, as some people anticipate. Maybe it's bigger than others thought. But um, while there's still a lot of upside there and you can see a path to growth, then I don't think it's it's in their best interest to rush into putting out a resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly is planting a flag, right? For better or for worse, the market sort of does latch onto those numbers, right? So, yeah. no, that's a valid point. So, why don't we transition? Just talking, so less less on the on the land package, and maybe transition more to the the, the boardroom side style side of things. Pardon me. Just do you mind running through again the nice kind of a nice bet in the cap for thesis? Is you do have a fairly tight, nice tight share structure, right? Can you just run through maybe how many shares do you have out? You know, warrants options in terms of overhang. We'll start there. Sure. Yeah. So they're just under sixty five million shares out. So as you said, really tight share structure, and we've worked hard to maintain that. Um, all of the the three financings I think we've done have been uh, very accretive. So we've been very fortunate uh, in that sense. 
warrants, there's only, there's just over half a million warrants outstanding. They expire um, late 2024, I think it is. And they are priced at about um, $2.50-ish, I think. Don't quote me on that. But um, they were broker warrants. Um, so there's really essentially no warrant overhang there. Um, and then options, I think there's about 1.9 million options at um, 50 cents. And then there's about another 2 million options at about $1.30, $1.35, kind of split between the 30 and 35. And then there's a few, there's probably another uh, few hundred thousand at about um a dollar 65 ish i think so collectively there's about 3.9 million options out mm. so just a few percentage points of your overall share count which is nice i i always fall trap pray myself pardon me the trap you know it, you have to be long-term thinking in years in this in this sector but it's always nice to know that you know if the stock does run there's not going to be that overhang to uh, to hold it back in the short term right so i I can't help but sometimes think more short-term than probably is good for this sector. But, yeah, no, nice to know there's no overhang. Um, why don't we transition and talk about then, can you run through, you know, insider, institutional, high net worth, you know, who you have on your, who do you have in terms of support, in terms of owning ownership? Yeah, so that 64 million shares breaks down into a pretty significant 60%-ish um, of institutional support. Um, and... Some of these funds maybe came into the thesis story a little bit earlier than they normally would. Uh, maybe there's a bit of shareholder overlap between benchmark uh, and thesis. You know, I think they were maybe uh, understood or, or, or knew me, understood what we were trying to accomplish in the Tudigon. Um, so um, ASA Merrick, Franklin Templeton, uh, Eric Sprott's also uh, part uh, as a shareholder as well. And then management and uh, insiders, the board, et cetera, hold just under 25%, I think. So, you know, we're certainly aligned with uh, shareholders uh, and see really, you know, the long-term goal here and vision for Thesis Gold. So, you know, the, the, I mean, 15% for retail, it's, it's a very tightly held structure here, right? So, again, I mean, you're looking at, I mean, geology, well, it has to come first, but it's often nice when you have that share structure that then back up a, a healthy re-rate or appreciation if and when that finally happens. So, no, that's absolutely a, a benefit for thesis for sure. Um, one more question here. This is maybe just for clarification for people that just read headlines and don't and don't read into M&A, MDNA, but you recently had an auditor resign, which can obviously sometimes be seen as a bad omen, right? Why are they resigning? But obviously in this case, it actually is quite innocent. You know, this is a really quick question, but do you just mind kind of putting on air why? Why did they resign? So I can't remember the name of the regulatory body that governs auditors, but um, they're they're basically only allowed to be the auditor for a specific company for, I think it's seven years. And then mm -hmm. after that, um, they have to, to, to step down and resign. So that's basically what happened in our case. Um, mm -hmm. It was, as you said, very innocent. The auditor reached that kind of dead, seven year deadline, stepped down and, and uh, we replaced them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not uh, like I say, for people that maybe don't, don't read the, MDNA could be potentially unsettling, but yeah, very, very innocuous. 
I want to talk about met testing and your metallurgical work. You've you've already this is again. I mean, you know what? You know, I have a checklist, right? When, I, when I'm running through companies, I have a checklist of uh, you know what do they have met work done and what's the resource and, and and you know we talk about correlated above and below ground exploration. For you, again, a, a, a check mark for me is the fact that you already have you know fairly diligent network done. Um, can you mind running us through the results of that and what that means for your for your company? Yeah, indeed. Uh, I mean, I think we maybe got to the MET testing a little bit earlier than maybe mm-hmm. a lot of companies would, given the position that we are kind of pre-resource, et cetera. But mm-hmm. wanted to get out ahead of that a little bit. High sulfidation epithermal systems can be metallurgically challenging, let's say. And um, so I wanted to get a handle on this early. You know, are we facing any problems here? You know, what is that? What is the process and look like? And are there any deleterious elements in there? Thankfully, no deleterious elements. Um, as you noted, the recoveries, you know, from basically we took composite samples from a range of the different zones as well. So Reg, Bonanza, the thesis zones, because uh, they all have slightly different characteristics. I mean, they're all high sulfidation epithermal systems, um, but these they range from you know, uh, sulfide content and gold, silver, plus or minus copper. So um, all of those composite samples are analyzed and you know, across the board, it was between 90 to 98% recovery. Um, and that is with, um, I think it's, uh, particle size passing about 80% passing at P, um, P80, which is around 74 microns, I think. And then it's a flotation circuit uh, where we create two uh, high grade concentrates, basically. So uh, a very simple, cost effective uh, industry norm, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent, right? So, and then again, huge, huge boon that it's a very cheap and simple process to, to recover. So, again, just kind of another positive aspect for your for your project here. Yeah, so, indeed. I mean, what's yeah? So, what's the? I mean, we're kind of nearing the end of this here, but you know, you talk to copper porphyries. Obviously, it's a buyout they're 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 aiming for. You know, you, you open pitable potentially depending on capex. I mean, it's something that you could go it alone, but I mean, you have majors in the area or you have mids in the area. Santeras is still to you. I think there's a, a Freeport JV that's kind of bordering you. I mean, are you, is this, and again, this is going to be tricky knowing, talking to us, asking a CEO this because it's going to be a question you can't really meaningfully answer. But I mean, is, do, are you, are you in the perspective that the Tudagon, I mean, is it, is it just right for consolidation and a takeover or for you, what's the, how far are you prepared to go? I mean, are you prepared to take all the way production or you just think that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to, polish up the apple for someone else to take the bite out of it? I mean, as you said, it's kind of a hard one to answer, but, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think we've we've demonstrated that we're certainly capable of raising capital um, and we're, we're growing this project. We're moving it forward. We're taking all the boxes as, you know, as we just discussed, met work. We're working towards that resource. We're making new discoveries, um, you know, I think, and we'll continue down that path uh, with the resource and then potentially future engineering work. And if somebody comes along at some point um, and has any interest in uh, the project, the company, then I'm open to those discussions. Uh, But I think it's in our shareholders' best interest for myself and the thesis team to, you know, continuously move this forward uh, as we're doing. And, and and that way they'll get uh, the best kind of ret- shareholder return. 
Um, but, you, you know, what I would say is that, you know, the Tudigon, Northern BC in general, I mean, as you saw yesterday, um, Newmont has just made a bid to take out Newcrest for $17 mm-hmm. billion. Dollars. Both mm-hmm. of them have been super active in Northern BC in the last couple of years with Newcrest buying Redcrest, uh, Newmont, the Saddle uh, Deposit, and also Predium. Um, you know, I think what this says is that, you know, BC is viewed as extremely attractive jurisdiction uh, to do business in, is very stable. And I think, you know, that M&A um, is only going to continue over the coming years. Mm-hmm. No, and eventually, right. eventually that has to trickle down into our, our uh, space. Yeah, I mean, I think that this we're starting to kind of back ourselves into a discussion around kind of global geopolitics. But, you know, I think that, you know, Peru with their with their protests around copper right now and and obviously with the Russia, China nonsense, right, that having a nice, you know, maybe difficult in other ways, but more predictable perhaps is a jurisdiction like BC where, you know, you have a lot, you know what you're getting yourself into when you have a project in BC, right? So I think that, I think that that's a huge tailwinds for Canadian explorers such as yourself. So what do we have here? I'm going to try to recap this myself. You tell me what I've missed, right? Fully okay. cashed 15, 15 million bucks for, for 2023, uh, highly prospective land, right? With a proven geological thesis, you already have oodles and oodles of, of already kind of, High would be very high grade for a pit resource. Uh, proven met work, 90 to 98%. It'll likely be low capex based on the fact that it's a simple flotation system. You have lots of meters that have been drilled, lots of meters upcoming, upcoming resource. Uh, what, what else? What am I missing here? I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> pretty spot on. Yeah, and I mean, this is, yeah, like I, I, I try to interview only companies that I myself personally engaged in, and this is certainly one that catches my eye every time I, I return to the story. So I, I think that you're on to something exciting here. Maybe one last one, and again, this is, I can't expect a, a hard, concrete answer, but you say, you know, resource coming out, PEA, still too too soon to talk about a PEA? Yeah, I think, you know, that would be the, the next step post uh, resource. Mm. Um, so probably a little ways down the line for us. Uh, but again, that would be, you know, it's on the horizon and, you know, we're, we're working in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we've, we've covered this, but maybe just for the opportunity to, to say it all in one moment here, just do you want to run through catalysts that we might expect from thesis over the next 12 to 18 months? Indeed. Yeah. I mean, it, as we talked about earlier on, I mean, there's still a lot of drill results to come out from last year's drill program. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get those out as soon as we can uh, over the next month or two. And then you're pretty quickly transitioning into a summer drill program uh, where we're you know, looking to do somewhere in that 40,000 meters uh, of drilling again. So continued strong drill results where you know we're looking to not only expand the known zones of mineralization but also drilling to make discoveries as well and and you've mentioned a couple of times the word porphyry and you know you know it's not only an epithermal system we're also Mm. um chasing you know a couple of strong porphyry targets as well so there's some some good blue sky potential there for uh, you know a big system at depth let's say Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if I may, I was going to give you the final thoughts here, but just one last kick at the can with the porphyry. Is that something that we can expect you to target in 2023? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, that was part of the program this year as well. And, um, you know, we, we're certainly refining those targets. And we've, we, as I said, we've got two strong, uh, what look to be pretty significant targets. So uh, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Well, no, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And this is, we've come to the end of my questions. Do you just, I thought I'd give it to you for parting thoughts or final word? No, I think you you honestly did a great summary <laughs> a couple of minutes ago. Uh, and if I was to cycle back, I think I'd probably just go back to that question uh, that you started off with, you know, what is the elevator pitch? And I think you recapped that pretty nicely, but it's, you know, the, the key takeaways are, you know, we, we own this project 100%. It's in a fantastic jurisdiction. It's an emerging uh, mining camp, the Tudigan. You know, I think, you know, Benchmark really can set the stage for what is possible here with a multi-million ounce uh, deposit near surface. I think our, our project has just as much potential. Um, you know, we've got a great shareholder base, tight, tight uh, share structure, 15 million in the treasury, and we're looking to do a big drill program this year. So a lot of catalysts uh, near term. Uh, and as we've talked about quite a bit, you know, we're, we're working towards that maiden resource. Perfect. Well, Ewan, thank you for your time. I think that's it for me. Uh, for anybody who, if you were, if this has piqued your curiosity and you want to learn more, please head over to thesisgold.com. They have a strong website, lots of great information there. As for me, you can find me under the name Junior Resource Investing on Spotify or YouTube or wherever you like to go for your podcasts. Ewan, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on here. My pleasure. Thanks.